Hey, listen, uh, li- little Johnny, what y'all, what y'all laughing for? That's, that's how some of my best jokes start out, little Johnny. Little Johnny had made some money. And he was sitting in church with his mom arguing. I don't, I'm not giving any money in the offering. And his mama was trying to convince him finally. She said, oh, Johnny, you don't want to keep this money. It's tainted. And little Johnny didn't really know what tainted mean, but it scared him enough where he put, dropped the money in the offering. And so a few seconds later, he said, Mom, what do you mean by it was tainted? Do you mean it was dirty? She said, oh, no, son, it's not dirty. It's just that it... Taint yours and it taint mine. It belongs to God. (laughs) Come on now. One more, one more. That has nothing to do with my message, but I like it. Hey, hey, what colors represent to us freedom? We've got a lot of us got it on this morning. Red, white, and blue. It represents freedom to us until it's the lights flashing behind you. (laughs) Come on, John Wayne, you know. I'd really point to Casey if he was here because he knows. He knows. Hey, in all seriousness, happy Independence uh, Day weekend. Uh, I pray that we, we remember. This is not just, we don't just celebrate. It's not just a day off from work where we can grill out, we can shoot off fireworks, but it is a day that we honor those that served this country and some that gave their lives. So, in fact, here, here's what I want to do. If you served or are currently serving, please stand, stand up. We want to honor you. Yeah, thank you. I know we've got, come on, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Wow. Man, thank you guys. You can be seated, man. Thank you, thank you. Mike was standing up like, well, do I get a gift with that? Uh, no, I'm going to stand until somebody brings me something. Hey, uh, we started off this series last week called Cause and Effect. And basically what we're talking about, uh, because, let me give you the definition. Let's bring that definition up. The relation between a cause and its effect. Noting a relationship between actions or events such that one or more are the result of the other. And let me simplify that for you like this. A cause and an action is an action that brings about a reaction. An action that brings about a reaction of, example, constantly spending and not budgeting your money. What kind of effect is that going to bring? Broke, poverty, in debt. Come on. Uh, whereas being financially responsible, saving, being generous, tithing, being, being, uh, finan- will bring financial peace. There is a cause. There is an effect. And as Christians... There should be an effect on our lives because of the cross and the resurrection. It shouldn't be just in name only that we call ourselves Christian. Now, now let me say this. Those things, those changes do not happen overnight. I've seen people that, bam, man, it happened overnight. And I wish it happened that way for me. But it, it has been a process. This has been a journey for me in a lot. And that's one of the things I love about CR. And you got a little glimpse of that. Because the people that belong to Grace House or, or, or the uh, Clean Living Athens, man, they, they don't care what you think about them. they just like, I want to get close to God. I want to find out. And, 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 and so, but as we've grown up, how many grew up in church? Come on, we get kind of 
numb to what it really is. Is that, is that a fair word? And, and, oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the cause that we're talking about is the cross and resurrection and the effect that it should have on every follower of Jesus. Because if we really believe he did die, if we really believe that he did rise from the dead then, and we've surrendered our lives to him, it should have an effect on our lives. In fact, Shane Pruitt said it like this. I gave you this last week. A Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want to here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. The real gospel changes who we are, then it also changes what we do. It changes your identity and your activity. That should be the effect of the cross. It should have an effect on us. It should change your attitudes. Come on. should change how we talk. It should change our approach to things. It should have an effect on everything that we do. And today I want to talk about this effect, real freedom, real freedom. Because I think we all pursue freedom to, to some degree. Uh, but when we talk about freedom, it, it can solicit a lot of different uh, images for people. Uh, when you talk about freedom, some people will, will think about the days of slavery. Others may think about getting out of debt or breaking free from a toxic relationship or breaking free from an addiction or getting out of prison. And, and so when we talk about freedom in those regards, I know this because you're human. There are those in here that will hear those things and think, well, I really don't need freedom. I don't really have an addiction, per se, Kelly. I, you know, I'm doing pretty good financially. I, I live in a free country. I don't really need freedom. Well, let me clear up any confusion for you. Everybody in the room, take a deep breath. Go ahead. Let it out. Now go ahead and check for a heartbeat. Go ahead. I'm probably not doing it right, but my watch is in the way. If you're alive and breathing, you are a candidate and need freedom, period. You need freedom. It's just, well, let's, let's don't get ahead. You're a candidate. Here, here's the misconception about freedom. We think, well, I'm not an addict. I don't smoke. I don't vape. I don't dip. I don't struggle with pornography. I don't have anger issues. Here, when it comes to freedom, this is an important thing. If you're taking notes, you need to understand. Freedom isn't the absence of something. Freedom is the presence of someone. That's what freedom is. The best definition I've ever heard of freedom, I, I think, came from my brother. I can't remember, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give this one to you is this, pull that up, freedom is the ability to act and react in life as the person I was created to be. That's freedom, to be able to not just act, but react, react. Man, we were out riding uh, yesterday, and, and there was a time when we were coming down by the Okoye River, and, and all, all I saw was the blue lights way back up behind the, the last bike. And there was a car that had swerved out, pulled up, and I mean was riding inches on one of the guy's bikes. And, and had done that to several people. And the next thing we know, there are blue lights back there. Freedom is the ability to act and react where I would, my normal reaction would be like, are you 
are you freaking kidding me? And then told him he was number one with the wrong finger. Come on. Don't, oh, don't put your halos on. I've been out with y'all, and y'all didn't know it was pastor, and you got aggravated. And Come on. Freedom is never about the outward, what's going on, on the outside, it, or, or the outward circumstances or situations. It's what's going on on the inside, amen? So how do we move towards real freedom? Because let's be honest, even if you think you don't really need freedom, the question that usually gets asked is, do I really want to be free? Here's the way it's usually looked at. It is this, I've tried everything. And I still can't break free. I've tried everything. And I cannot seem to break free. And I, I don't think I'm just talking about an addiction to pills, porn, or alcohol, or anything like that. What about this? I've tried every diet in the world, and I still cannot lose weight or keep the weight off. See, we, we like it when we talk about the addiction to pills and porn and alcohol. But stay away from food. Kel, that's not an addiction. Oh, really? For most of us, and I'm me in this, food tells us what to do. Come on. We know better than eating. I love pizza. I mean, I love. I, I cannot tell you how much I love pizza. Especially give me some ranch sauce to drip, dip it in. Listen. But I can look at that pizza and I, and I know one piece is good, Kelly. Then I'm three quarters way through that pizza, and I know I shouldn't. So what happened? I, that has power over me. Come on, don't. I know it does you too. Come on, let's be real. And so I, I've tried every day in the world. What about this? I've prayed about my anger so many times, still nothing. Oh, here one. I've tried every dating app. I still end up with the wrong guy, wrong girl. I've tried, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. See, it's not that we don't want to be free from whatever. It's that we've tried over and over in the past, and it, and it seems like nothing has worked for us. Come on, can anybody relate? We've got these different things we're doing that we've been told, hey, do this, this, and this, and that will bring you freedom. And we've tried them all, but it seems like we cannot break free. And if we do break free, we may break free a week. A month, maybe two or three months. But then somehow we find ourselves right back in it. And we get frustrated. And out of that frustrated, frustration comes this mindset. Come on. Why even bother trying? Apparently, this is just who I am. Come on, we got any honest people say, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. See, in our pursuit of freedom, we've got told to do a lot of different things. And let me say this. All these things that we're about to go over are important to finding freedom. The biggest problem is I think we got these things out of order. And we need to reprioritize some things. But here's the first step they'll tell you in your pursuit of freedom. We need to change our environment. Change your environment. Here's what that looks like. If I could just change my environment, if I could just change my surroundings, if I could just get out of this place. For some, it may sound like if I had a better spouse, 
If I had different kids. At least now I know who I'm talking to. If I had a better house, a vehicle, a better job, if I had a couple of days off, Skilo said it like this, if I was a little bit taller, if I was a baller, wish I had a girl I liked, I'd call her. Come on. <laughs> if, if, maybe for some of you it sounds like this, if I could just lose this weight and get thinner, then. If I had a different upbringing, if I had a dad growing up, if I had a better role model growing up, if I'd been given other different opportunities growing up, if I could just win the lottery, if my pastor would dress more like a pastor, But we develop this mindset, if I could just change this one thing about my life, things would be different and I could be happy. And what happens, we end up living in this if state of mind. If. And that if state of mind makes us think and believe that if we want to be happy, if we want to break free, if we want peace, that those things are byproducts of my surroundings and my environment. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4. 12 and 13. I'm going to read this from the message. He says, I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy. Anybody want that recipe? I'm about to give it to you. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, and here's the recipe. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Paul says, I've learned to be content, to be happy in, in whatever, whatever environment or surroundings I find myself in. Do you know the environment Paul was writing this from? Prison. Prison. And, and Paul writes, whatever I have, wherever I'm at, I'm content, I'm happy. Paul was aware of this, that real freedom wasn't a byproduct of his environment or his surroundings. It was knowing the one who makes him who he is. That is where freedom. So if we have this mindset, if I could just change this, if I could change my environment, my surroundings, what happens when our environments change, surroundings change, but we don't? Come on. We end up becoming more frustrated and a little less hope-filled. And again, I, I think your environment and surroundings are vital to, to, to your walk with Christ and to lasting freedom. I just think we've got them out of order. The second step they'll tell us is this. Change our behavior. I think, again, I think that's, that's one of the effects of the cross is a, a change in our behavior. I, I think we've got them in the wrong order. Do you, the church I grew up in, and, and a lot of you that grew up around my age, and you know what the church I grew up in specialized in, or thought they specialized in? Behavior modification. Now, they would never come out and say it, 
public, but they gave this vow of, yes, you can come to our church if you change this. Yes, you can come to our church if you dress different. Yes, you can come to church if you stop going here or there. And what we were doing, without even realizing it, was building a community of exclusivity. This is our country club. You want to be part of this club? Well, here's your rules. Come on. In fact, hey, the church I grew up in had had kind of a motto. If, If it's fun or you really enjoy it, it's sin. It's sin. And that's why I hear people give their testimonies. Listen, when I was in the world, sin was no fun to me. I don't know why I ever did it. I think, well, you were doing it wrong. Because <laughs> the Bible even tells us sin's fun. It's just for a season. And we, we had our little jingles. Chris, I don't remember this. Uh, good Christian boys don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or date girls that do. I, I tell you, if I, was a, if I was a single man today and that was my motto, I don't know if I could date anybody. I might be a priest. Uh, anyway, <laughs> little humor. Come on, some of you ladies. Like, some of y'all. <laughs> but, <laughs> I would tell a story, but some of y'all would say, what's wrong with that? Anyway, let's move on. Here's what I witnessed, though, and learned. Good Christians never cuss. At least at church. They wait till they get home or in the car by themselves. So I grew up with this mindset. Good Christians would never struggle with pornography. Good Christians would never struggle with temptations. Good Christians would never struggle with depression. Good Christians kept all the rules. Come on. And those unspoken rules and those unspoken mindsets that developed in me and many others, it produced one of two things. One, we talked about this, Hippocrates, the ones that wear the mask. And it produced a bunch of Christians that walked around wearing a mask and that they would put on whenever they wanted to, depending on the event they were at. Or two, it produced people that that got frustrated and said, just forget it. I can't keep all these rules. I'm telling you, I cannot tell you the struggle in my mind growing up. Wondering if, hey, Kelly, apparently you're doing it wrong. Because if you were doing it right, you wouldn't be struggling with these things. Come on. And what happened in the process is the church ended up with a bunch of casualties of the behavior modification war. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that behavior modification can never bring about the lasting change and transformation that I really wanted. Now, I do believe it's part of the effect. I think the order's wrong. The third step they'll tell us to do. Okay, change our strategy. This didn't work. Let's try this. Come on. Huh? If you've been on one diet, you've been on 20 diets. Come on. This didn't work. Let me try this one. This didn't work. Let me try. Until finally we got to come to the conclusion, it ain't the diet. It's me. Oh, Pastor Kelly, that was really good. I'm just, I'm just going to be quiet and just contemplate it. 
Come on, it's me. Because every one of those diets, if I actually had the discipline to stand by them, they would have worked. So the problem is not them, it's me. But we get in this, oh, let's change strategies, let's change strategies. You know, there are studies that have shown that most of our behaviors, how we act, how we respond, are the byproduct of what is called mental maps in our minds. And here's how those mental maps are formed. Behaviors formed and shaped by experiences from our past. Things we saw growing up. They create these mental maps. We kind of program our mind to believe this. So over time, our minds develop these strategies that, hey, I'm not going to repeat that mistake again, or I'll never do that again. And this mental map kicks in. It may look like, anybody ever put yourself into a situation or conversation trying to help, and you walk away from that thing, well, that's a lot. I'll never do that again. <laughs> Come on, Anybody? Or, or you get hurt in a relationship, and without even realizing it, you start developing these mental maps of, I'll never let that happen to me again. Or you trust a friend with something that's going on in your life. You haven't told anybody else, but you trust them, and suddenly now everybody's talking about it. So this mental map gets formed in our minds that says, hey, hey, last time I'll trust anybody. It won't happen to me again. And the hurt and the betrayal that you felt, the loss you felt from these things, they end up controlling and influencing how you approach life, how you approach relationships, even how you approach church. I'll never trust again. I'll never give my heart away again. I'll never be vulnerable again. I'll never be part of a church again. I'll never be involved in ministry again. My, my wife will tell you, hey, at least once a month, I quit this church. <laughs> Some of y'all thinking, I can't tell if he's kidding or not. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it at that. So, but let's go. <laughs> I used to have this iPod Classic. Anybody remember those? Yeah, and I had this thing, and I took it with me to the gym. I took it with me when I would go on uh, fast walks. They're not really runs, but they're not walks either. Uh, so <laughs> I was training for the speed walking. So, anyway, I would carry it. Well, every once in a while, and I'd plug that thing into my computer, this would pop up, reset to default settings. And then if I would say yes that I need to, to in order to, to be able to use the iPod, it would say, warning, if you hit yes, it will erase everything you've put on that, on that iPod. It'll restore it to default settings. And, and if you get rid of, if you've got a smartphone and you want to sell it, the smart thing to do, wipe it clean, but it'll say, restore, reset to default settings. So I have to ask, what are the default settings of your mind? What have you been programmed to believe early on in life? Or even as you grew? What mind, what, what mind traps, mindsets begin to form in you? What did you see here growing up or even now that you've been programmed to believe? This is just your life. 
you'll never break free. You'll never be financially free. You'll always struggle with debt. You'll never have a good marriage. There aren't any good men, women out there anymore. Faith is for the weak. I'll never own my own home. What, what, what have you programmed your mind to believe without even knowing it? And here's why that's important. When it comes to real, lasting freedom, what you truly believe will either be the thing that catapults you or puts you in chains. What you truly believe. Now, I'll never forget sitting at Casey and uh, Tiffany, that actually, man, are on a, a well-needed getaway for the weekend without kids. They said, we all love our kids, but come on. Time away from the kids feels like, uh, I don't know, it's just like heaven. But I remember, most of y'all know his story. And I'll never forget sitting over at BCCX, Bledsoe uh, County Correctional Complex, and uh, one Saturday talking to him there. And we were talking about his addiction and how it had ravaged his life then some 18 years. And this conversation kind of got me thinking because one of the things, he, he said this, one of the things they tell you is that you will always be an addict. That relapse is just part of recovery, to expect a relapse. And Casey then went on to tell me that he thought all this did, he said, all I think this does is more or less give an addict an excuse to fall back into their addiction. And he said, because if that's true, if I'll always be an addict, why even bother trying? And, and I, I get what they're saying. I, I do. I get that. It kind of keeps you on that, you know, hey, don't get too prideful because when you think I got this kick, hey, you better keep being what? So I get that. And I understand the mindset. But here's also what I think we're doing. We're programming them to believe this is all I will ever be. This is it. This is my lot in life. What I, the choices I made early on in life, well, that's what I've got to live with the rest of my life. So I ask you, what have you been programmed to believe? And, and I've told this story before, but it's a great illustration um, Anybody heard of a guy named, I know Chris has, some of the others, Roger Bannister? Anybody heard of him? Um, for years, experts said that the human body was not capable of running a four-minute mile. In the 1940s, the, the mile record was pushed to four minutes and one second. And it said it could... You, no one is incapable of running a mile under four minutes. And that's where it stayed, four minutes and one second, for nine years. And then on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first person in history to break the four-mile four uh, barrier, four-minute barrier. He crushed it. You know what his time was? Three minutes, 59.4 seconds. He barely broke it, right? But the truth is he broke it. What he was told and led to believe up to that point, what he'd been programmed to think, this is incapable. He did it even if it was only by tenths of a second. 
Interesting enough, after that day, 46 days later, a guy named Landy shattered again the record with a time of 3 minutes and 57.9 seconds. Today, if you plan on playing any professional sports, if you plan on starting in high school or college ball, you run a four-minute mile. It's nothing. Why? Because in 1954, someone decided, you know what? This is what I've been told. This is not possible. I'm going to decide different. And he began to reprogram his mind. And along with that came the reprogramming of other athletes' minds that this is actually possible. Come on now. My concern for this generation is that what we are, we are witnessing, it makes me mad, it makes me sad, it makes me all those. What we are witnessing It's a reprogramming of the minds to take our youth away from who God says they are, what God says they are. We're witnessing it. We're witnessing it in the smallest little ways. In the tiniest ways, we're seeing it. And I'm going to tell you, parents, I'm going to tell you, not Christians, followers of Jesus, I'm going to tell you, if we do not stand up and begin to fight, five years from now, I'm afraid of what this world will look like. I'm telling you. I'm te- look, look what Paul said. This speaks volumes to the culture we're living in today, Romans 12. Too. Paul says, do not copy the behavior customs, the mindsets, I'm adding some words, of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Look at this. By changing the way you think. In other words, you've been programmed to believe something. Let God change the way you think. The fourth step we're told is this. Okay, change our beliefs and values. I want you to know, I didn't say change our thoughts and values because thoughts and beliefs are two different animals. Healthybrains.org, get this, says this. Your brain, I asked Bob uh, this week as I studied and he came to my office. I said, hey, how many thoughts do you think the average person has a day, processes a day? He says, I don't know, a thousand? I said, you are well, way low. Fifty to 70,000 thoughts every day the average human being processes. That's roughly 35 to 48 thoughts per minute. You're thinking it right now? Come on. Uh, you, you've got other thoughts running through your mind. How long is he going to preach today? Hey, where, where should we eat today? I wonder if so-and-so's single. I wonder if they saw me raise my hand in worship. <laughs> Come on. I wish I hadn't stayed out so late last night. We have got to have the best-looking pastor in the world. <laughs> we have got to have the most delusional pastor in the world. <laughs> 
We have this constant stream of thoughts running through our minds. Those are thoughts. Beliefs are very different. Beliefs flow from, flow from a deep inner part of us. In fact, I don't know who said this, but man, it stuck with me. Said this, beliefs are the soundtrack that keeps playing over and over in our mind, affecting what we do, how we feel, and how we think. Those are beliefs. It controls what we do, how we feel. I'm talking beliefs like, I'll always be alone. That's some, some there are people, they really believe that. Nobody loves me. I, I was born this way. I'll always be this way. I'll never break free from this. I'm so inadequate. My life is out of control. Or here, I'm used goods. Why would anybody want me? Can I tell you this? I believe that those beliefs will do more damage to, to your freedom than any pill ever will. Because beliefs are with you everywhere you go. I'm telling you, those beliefs, they're like glasses that we see everything through. Beliefs shape, they form our expectations. I want to give you two questions that every believer must ask themselves when it comes to believing. One is this, what do I believe about God? What do I, I, I don't mean do you believe in God. Because here in the South, 95% of the people you talk to will tell you they believe in God. What do I believe about God? And here's why that's important. When you are absolutely convinced of who he is and his heart for you, that he loves you passionately, unconditionally, that he doesn't, he doesn't need you, but he wants you, I'm telling you, that will transform how you see God. And how you relate to him. A.W. Tozer said this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The second question you got to ask. What do I believe about myself? In other words, how do you see yourself? What value do you put upon yourself? Because if you go by, if you measure it by how the world deems value. They look at things like the kind of car you drive, the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in, clothes you wear, how many followers you have. They determine your value on those things. And here's the biggest problem with getting your worth from those things. Those things can be gone in a heartbeat. Let me show you how valuable you are. Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for you. God showed how valuable you are by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I know in this world you've had to earn people's love. You've had to earn different things. But God said, before you ever even chose me or thought about, I loved you enough to die, send my son to die for you. Here's a way the voice paraphrase it. Think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. So the question is, is not this. What are you worth? Here's the question. Who are you allowing to define your worth? 
That's the question. Your worth is not in question to God. The problem lies with who you allow to define what you're worth. Listen, don't allow some boy or girl to define your worth. Come on. Don't allow some coworker or boss to define your worth. Don't allow things done to you in the past or words spoken over you in the past to define your worth. Don't allow a past relationship to define your worth. Don't allow past failures or sins to define your worth. God has already determined and defined your worth. You are worth Him giving up everything for. That brings us to the final step. If I get above it, come on up. Change our identity. To me, this is where we need to start. This is the step we need to start with. Our identity. Do you understand that your identity was in the heart and mind of God when he created you? When he created you. See, freedom is not about outward circumstances. Real freedom is about becoming who we were meant to be in the middle of those circumstances. Living the life we were created to, 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 to have and live. Freedom is, wa- is walking and knowing who God says you are. Tell you, don't have this mindset of freedom is only about what you've been set free from. Because here's the truth. Freedom isn't about what you've been set free from. Freedom is about who you are being set free to become. That's what freedom. He's setting you free to become someone. Look at Ephesians. And if this is misspelled, this is... I feel like God's focus, and this was after my wife had a time to prove for you. Look at this. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him cover with his love. Look at this. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. His unchanging plan did not change just because you chose to make some bad decisions. His unchanging plan did not change for you just because you got divorced. Are you hearing me? His unchanging plan did not change because you grew up in a different environment than what you wanted. It has always been to adopt you. To adopt you. Freedom is about you becoming who you were set free to become. If if you've accepted Christ, I want to show you what he says about you. If you've not accepted Christ, this is what he wants to say about you. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? No, he is what? The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Listen, here's what we'll say. Kelly, I know that verse. I've heard that verse, but I don't feel new. 
because we don't really understand what salvation is. Maybe it's because for some reason we thought salvation salvation was only praying a prayer and then showing up at church whenever it was convenient for us. Or, you know what, salvation is getting out of hell. And listen, I agree, that is a major perk. But that is very small compared to what salvation really is. You know, the word saved gets mentioned about 106 times in the New Testament. Almost every time, the Greek word that they, it gets replaced with is the word sozo. Sozo isn't a fancy way of saying saved. Sozo carries the meaning of being saved, healed, delivered, rescued, set free, and made whole. That's what Jesus came to do for you. That is, the, that is the effect of the cross and resurrection. Sozo. We have a mission statement here at Watson Bar Community Church. If you've been here long enough, you know what it is. Say it with me. What is it? Love. Okay, that was just sad. Let's try that again. Love God. Love people. Serve others. Let me give you Jesus' mission statement. Luke 4, 18, 19. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's his mission statement. Get this, the original Greek word there for freedom is not what we think when we hear freedom. The original word literally means this, to be pardoned. As if no sin or wrong had ever been committed. Remission of the penalty. That's Jesus' mission statement. Freedom isn't the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. Stand with me, brothers. Maybe we've been trying things in the wrong order for so long. And we found people getting frustrated when they try changing their, their environment or their situation. Or they, they've tried different strategies. And they've tried all these things. And, and they're just frustrated. When maybe we should start at the identity. This is who God says you are. Paul knew how important it was. Remember the passage we read earlier? Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything. And the one who makes me who I am. Wherever I am, whatever I have or don't have, I can make it because I get my identity from him. I'm convinced if we were to get that right, if that's where we're to start, this is my identity. This is who God says I am. I'm done listening to the world. I'm done listening to friends. I'm done listening to social media, to the news. Listen, they're telling me all these different things, but God, this is who you say I am. And if we began to get our identity there, I think the process of freedom 
Ghost is moving before us. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I know the enemy knows this because that is why he is fighting so hard on the identity issue right now. Let me take their identity. Let me steal their, let me confuse them. Because I, I really don't need them to identify as this or that. I just really need to confuse them enough where they don't see who God says they are. that have been programmed in your mind that you've become to believe that this is just the way it is. You'll never truly break free. You'll never be any different from this. This is what mom and dad had. This is what I'll have. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. I'll never own a home. I, but those thoughts have been programmed in you. And today, you want God to reset your default settings the way he made you. Talking to followers of Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I've got some things in me I need to change. If I'm being honest. Let's do this real quick before we proceed with this altar call. If you're here and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus hear me, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship with Jesus. You don't have that relationship with Him. You you hear people up here talk about Him, others talk about Him, and you're like, man, I want that. I just don't have that. And I want to be secure in my walk. And today, I want that to change. I want to celebrate Independence Day by getting independence through God. If that's you, raise your hand. Because, man, I, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Look up at me. We're going to sing a chorus of a song. If you raise your hand for either one of those, I'm my prayer team to come on up. Come on, get up here. Get up here. Kaylin, get up here. We had several raise their hand. If you raise your hand for either one of those, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to step out and make your way up here. And team, I want you to say, hey, what, what do I need to pray with you about? And if they say relationship, let's start there. Then we'll work through all the other stuff. Amen? Come on up here, God. I'm going to count to three. You raise your hand for any of those. Listen, what? Well, here is not the, I don't want anybody, listen, this place, we, we know how broken we are. And we want to see God working you like he's worked for us. So you don't have to worry about anybody looking down on you. Because we don't want people looking down on us. So I'm telling you, you raise those hands, now's the time. One, two, three.